Hello and welcome to 2021's fourth Fellows Choice podcast, where we will outline the highlights of April's issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Anna Collins from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the UK. And I'm Irina Tibulak from the University Hospital of Innsbruck in Austria. Paolo Romeo and colleagues present a video describing two cases of serous epithelial ovarian carcinomas. The first case was a 51-year-old patient with a family history of breast cancer, referred for pelvic pain, and a 5cm multilocular solid tumour was identified on transvaginal ultrasound examination. IOTA ADNEX showed an increased risk of malignancy, with the highest relative risk for stage 2-4 to ovarian cancer. The intraoperative frozen section of the right ovarian mass was positive for high-grade serous ovarian carcinoma. The second case was a 20-year-old patient with no family history of cancer who had a transvaginal ultrasound showing bilateral multilocular solid tumours with low-level cystic content and multiple papillary projections. IOTA ADNEX showed an increased risk of malignancy with the highest relative risk for stage 2-4 to ovarian cancer. After right salpingo-oophorectomy, peritoneal biopsies and peritoneal washings, the macroscopic assessment of the right mass confirmed a solid tumour with exophytic tissue. The final histology report confirmed a stage 3C low-grade serous ovarian carcinoma. Antonia Gonzalez Martin and colleagues present the ANITA trial. The objective of this phase 3 randomized multicenter trial is to determine whether the addition of atezolizumab to carboplatin-based therapy and to subsequent maintenance with niraparib improves progression-free survival compared with placebo in patients with recurrent platinum-sensitive ovarian cancer. Chemotherapy may be synergistic in combination with antipedial one through its ability to increase tumor immunogenicity. The rationale for combining antipedial 1 with PARP inhibitors is based on preclinical observations that have shown the upregulation of PDL1 following exposure to PARP inhibitors, as well as evidence of increasing the activity of STING and interferon pathways after niraparib administration. STING enhance intratumoral immune cell infiltration and upregulate granzyme B positive T cells. ANITA trial is the largest randomized trial exploring the role of combination of antipedial 1 with PARP inhibitors for patients with recurrent ovarian cancer for whom platinum might be the best option. The study was launched in the fourth quarter of 2018 and is estimated to close in the second quarter of 2021. Major results for progression-free survival are expected by 2023. Aida and colleagues present a comprehensive review article on the clinical and molecular features of clear cell carcinoma of the ovary. Ovarian clear cell carcinoma is a distinct biological entity with a higher incidence in Korea, Japan and Taiwan compared with North American or European states. Endometriosis is well recognised as a direct precursor of clear cell carcinoma and patients are often younger compared to those with serous subtypes. Thromboembolic complications are more frequent in women with ovarian clear cell carcinoma and this is an independent poor prognostic factor. The most frequent genetic alterations include mutations in ARID1A and PIK3CA pathways with subgroups of clear cell carcinoma identified based on C. abobec and C. age mutational signatures. Gene expression profiling identified upregulation of hepatocyte nuclear factor 1 beta and oxidative stress-related genes. 
Patients with early stage disease have favourable clinical outcomes and fertility sparing surgery can be considered in selected cases with stage 1 disease. Prognosis is poor in advanced or recurrent disease and targeted therapies based on molecular characteristics may prove valuable for improving outcomes. Trials evaluating MMR deficiency and response to immune checkpoint inhibitors, BRCA status and PARP inhibitor response are desirable. However, due to the rarity of disease, international collaboration will be required to power large-scale clinical trials to determine optimal treatment. Van den Herig and colleagues from Leiden University in Netherlands present an overview of current adjuvant treatment strategies in endometrial cancer, highlighting the development and evaluation of molecular integrated risk profile and briefly discussing ongoing developments in targeted treatment. In this interesting review of this hot topic, the authors remind us that until the development of molecular classification, adjuvant treatment for patients with endometrial cancer was risk-based using clinical pathologic risk factors. Recently, the results of molecular analysis of the Portic 3 tissue samples showed that even in these high-risk endometrial cancers, all four molecular subgroups are found with clear prognostic differences. Patients with p53 mutational expression and those with no specific molecular profile present significant benefit for chemoradiation, whereas those with polymutation and those with mismatch repair deficiency cancers do not seem to benefit from added chemotherapy. Finally, especially studies using immune checkpoint inhibitors for patients with mismatch repair deficiency endometrial cancers have shown high rates of response and recent studies of other targeted agents have shown promising results. The results of ongoing trials and the comprehensive rainbow trials are likely to have profound impact on treatment guidelines in the coming years. Van Nguyen and colleagues aim to assess the incidence of secondary primary malignancy in patients with ovarian clear cell carcinoma. Clear cell carcinoma of the ovary is commonly diagnosed at a younger age, the genetic profile is different and there is higher association with Lynch syndrome compared with other ovarian cancer histologies. This is a retrospective study from two Canadian tertiary academic centres, including 209 patients diagnosed with pure ovarian clear cell carcinoma. At median follow-up of 88 months, 54 patients developed a second primary malignancy, 25.8%, of whom six developed two second primary malignancies. Two patients with second primary malignancies were diagnosed with Lynch syndrome. Smoking and radiation therapy were associated with an increased risk of second primary malignancy on multivariable analysis. However, development of second malignancy did not impact progression-free survival and overall survival. Authors concluded that patients with ovarian clear cell carcinoma are at increased risk of second primary malignancies, most frequently non-Lynch related. This may have implications for counselling and consideration for second primary malignancy screening. Lasala and colleagues reported the results on the impact of anesthesia technique on postoperative opioid use in an enhanced recovery after surgery pathway. 1,184 patients undergoing open gynecologic surgery and general anesthesia using either inhalational, total intravenous anesthesia or combined techniques were retrospectively included. Patients who received combined anesthesia had longer surgery times, while surgical complexity was higher among patients who underwent total intravenous anesthesia. 
Patients who underwent total intravenous anesthesia consumed less postoperative opioids than those managed with inhalational technique or combined anesthesia. Therefore, authors concluded that total intravenous anesthesia technique is associated with a decrease in postoperative consumption of opioids after open gynecologic surgery in patients on an iris pathway. Rodriguez and colleagues conducted a study of 1,385 patients to compare the disease-free survival of patients with early-stage cervical cancer who underwent radical hysterectomy and pelvic lymphadenectomy either by laparoscopy in 697 cases or laparotomy in 688 cases. They found that the recurrence rate in the overall cohort was 7.1%. Of these patients, 64.3% underwent laparoscopy and 35.7% underwent laparotomy. The median time to recurrence was similar between groups with a median of 24 months in the laparoscopy group versus 21.9 months in the laparotomy group. Cumulative incidence of death for any cause at four years of diagnosis was 4.4% for laparoscopy versus 2% for laparotomy. In conclusion, this retrospective multi-centre study showed that the laparoscopic approach for early-stage cervical cancer was associated with a higher risk of recurrence and also a higher risk of death after adjustment for adjuvant treatment. Sanhita and colleagues present the long-term quality of life outcomes from the LACE trial, which compared women randomised to laparoscopic versus abdominal hysterectomy for early-stage endometrial cancer. The primary objective of this study was to compare reported quality of life outcomes with baseline population norms and to assess whether quality of life outcomes differed between the women treated with abdominal versus laparoscopic hysterectomy to identify unaddressed survivorship issues. 259 women provided long-term follow-up data for a median duration of 9 years. The authors identified an increase in anxiety and depression in endometrial cancer survivors compared to age-matched population norms. In women over 75, endometrial cancer survivors were more likely to report impairment in mobility and usual activities, which the authors suggest may be related to the prevalence of obesity in the study population both at time of surgery and throughout the survivorship period. Physical and functional well-being was better among women treated with total laparoscopic hysterectomy compared with total abdominal hysterectomy. Maximilian Lanner and colleagues, on behalf of the European Network of Young Gynaecological Oncologists, present a report on subspecialty training in Europe. National representatives of Enigo from 33 countries joined a survey in order to evaluate the progress in the infrastructure of the training systems in Europe over the past decade. A national fellowship is offered in 22 countries with the median fellowship duration of 2.5 years. A PhD degree is included in the fellowship programme in two countries, while 11 countries have no formal research component in the training. In most countries, fellows request additional training in advanced laparoscopic surgery. In 24 countries, a logbook to document progress of training is mandatory. In more than 40% of countries, objective assessments are recognised. In summary, 39% of countries reported a loosely structured training system, 33% have a moderately structured training system, and 27% have a well-structured training system. Countries with a well-structured training system included Belgium, the Czech Republic, 
Denmark, France, Germany, Poland, Sweden, the Netherlands and the United Kingdom. And finally, Gloria Salvo and colleagues present a retrospective nectar study to explore the role of radical hysterectomy with pelvic lymphadenectomy in patients with early-stage high-grade neuroendocrine cervical carcinoma who have a high likelihood of undergoing postoperative adjuvant therapy, authors determined the rate of parametrial involvement and the rate of parametrial involvement without other indications for adjuvant treatment in these patients. 100 patients met the inclusion criteria. Parametrial involvement was present in 10% of patients and was never the only high-risk factor. Of the 100 patients, 95 were recommended adjuvant therapy and 89 were known to have received it. Adjuvant pelvic radiotherapy reduced the likelihood of local recurrence by 62%. Authors hypothesize that as most patients receive adjuvant treatment, simple hysterectomy may be adequate when followed by adjuvant radiotherapy with concurrent tisplatin and etoposide, followed by additional chemotherapy. Thank you for listening to April's Fellows' Choice podcast. We hope that you tune in again in May.